Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest on Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. This week on Margin Call, we're joined by Anissa Liban, a remarkable young woman who at 22 years old has a list of humanitarian accomplishments that could rival anyone doing this work. Her organization, Horn of Hope, works to address humanitarian crises ranging from safe water to empowering young women and girls throughout the world. She's participated in efforts to alleviate hunger in Somalia and recently hosted a motivational event called Empowering Young Girls Through Leadership. She's able to do all of this somehow and still attend classes at Ohio State's John Glenn's College of Public Affairs, where she's a third year public affairs major. Her accomplishments and accolades go on and on, so we could spend the whole time talking about that. Uh, but I'd rather talk to her about the work she's doing. I'm very, very happy to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Anissa, and thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Um, thank you guys again for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I am actually a last year at Ohio State University, and I am currently studying public affairs, as you mentioned, in nonprofit studies. And to be honest with you guys, um, I'm very fortunate to have graduated in 2014 when I did because Ohio State University actually um, began their nonprofit minor during that year. So um, honestly, I feel like if they didn't have that as an option then, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Um, since I enrolled in college, um, I guess my love for charity work really began in high school. My senior year, um, there was a devastating drought happening in Somalia. And so during that time, just being a teenager and just going to school, I really wanted to give back to the country. And just a little background about me, I'm, I'm a, a first-generation student. So um, my mom did come here to the States. And so they're really, I don't really have immediate family back in the country. So I, at that time, you know, just turning off CNN and hearing about people dying from a famine obviously made me sad. And I'm sure it made a lot of other people sad as well. But being that young, I really wanted to create some sort of change. And I wanted to impact people back in Somalia. I guess that desire to make change kind of um, made me reach out to different charities. And the first charity that I got to was Charity Water. They're currently located in New York City. And when I contacted them and I was like, hey, guys, there's a drought. What can I do? I want to make campaign. This was something, let me make sure I'm hearing you right. This was something you did yourself as a young yeah. person. You saw a crisis on the television and you said, I'd like to do something about this. Yeah. And then you looked up charities and then you found this charity and that's how you came. That is that's remarkable. I was maybe 17 at the most in high school. And I just, you know, literally watched the news, like 80,000 people. And these are actual figures, maybe more like hundreds of thousands of people are dying um, because of this. It wasn't even a draw at that point. It was an actual famine. And that really made me sad. And I was like, you know what, although I'm here in America and I don't really have immediate ties back home. I can do something to use a platform or my school at the very least to fundraise for this. But then the problem wasn't fundraising, but it was where, do, what charity do we give the money to? And so I actually ended up um, getting my high school to um, donate all the money that we raised during an annual um, teens for tolerance event. And I believe we raised maybe like a little over $10,000. And that money that we raised uh, for that festival that my high school was having, in addition to the campaign that I made with Charity Water, all that money was then donated um, to a charity in Somalia. And so that's really where the ball was rolling. And that success story, um, a lot of people heard about that on Facebook, in particular Package 20. Um, and they just give backpacks um, to people to, you know, carry the water in. And that's really where I was like, you know what? I clearly am making a serious impact if other nonprofits are 
you know, trusting a teenager to do something. And so I kind of ended up really collaborating with them. So that was an introduction to collaborating with nonprofits. And I think like, I think the biggest thing that I really had to overcome was getting people to trust me because again, I'm like a teenager, you know, I, this is in my career. It was just like, who was it that you had to convince? Was it your fellow students that were helping you raise money? Was it adults? Was it people in the nonprofit world? Like who, who did you have to convince? Honestly, it wasn't the older people. It was the youth. And because, you know, everyone's thinking like, well, what can you do? Like, because I think it was just like self doubt and I guess not really seeing a lot of young people go out and do things like this. A lot of people were doubting, I guess, my ability to actually just people constantly asking me like, well, how did you do this? Are you skilled in this? Like, are there other people behind the scenes? And so I guess just over the years having to prove like, you know, it's really isn't just me at the end of the day. I'm blessed to collaborate with nonprofits and they are, you know, they're the ones doing the field work. They're the ones really doing like a bulk of the work. But what I'm doing is I'm spearheading like a lot of the crowdfunding campaigns. I'm really doing a lot of their marketing. And so I really got to be creative. And one thing, um, just working with older people in the nonprofit sector, I think one thing that I realized over the years is even within the nonprofit sector, the way people are fundraising is really changing. Like if you go back to 10 years ago, people were probably mailing like invitations to donate out, whereas now people are using Twitter with a like a link. And that's so instant. That's so fast. And I think a lot of the older people who are running these nonprofits are realizing like, wow, we can be really innovative and we can get really creative with how we how we ask for money. And I think just working with a lot of these people, I was able to help them, like, I guess in a lot of ways, like, break the stigma around asking for money. That's really where my entire journey began. Uh, that's fascinating. And I, I mean, I'm not surprised. You can't blame young people for asking, you know, who are you working with? What, you know, uh, I think there are a lot of assumptions about what the capacities are uh, for young people. And it's, you know, it's nice to see you upending them. Uh, I want to take a second to welcome uh, our other two guests today. I'm joined by Queston contributor Amelia Gonzalez uh, and our venerable producer, the woman behind the curtain, pulling all the levers, Iming Beyonce. Thanks to both of you uh, for being here with us. Amelia, let me ask you, just because you introduced Anissa to us, um, I know that you're doing similar work. Are you two collaborating? Are uh, how, how did you two come to each other? Was it through one of these recent events? I'm curious because every time I ask you what you're up to, Amelia, you always have a really interesting answer. So how did you two find each other? Well, one day in Ohio. No, what kind of? Well, so there was this um, thing happening at Ohio State University called Women's Women in Politics. And you had to apply to be a part of it. And it was part of the, Gen, the John Glenn Public Affairs School. Um, and so that's where I met Anissa for the first time. And I was so blown away and inspired. <laughs> um, and so we've, we've like kept in touch. But that was in, I think that was in 2015. So that was like three years ago. And we haven't collaborated yet. But I think all of the work we do is in kind of natural almost collaboration in terms of the purpose we're doing it for but what yeah, was the framing of the event of like women in politics does that mean like local electoral politics is a global lens what, what, it was more was... i mean it was like it was more like really encouraging young women to become politicians like in a sense like to be very active in the political political um like the legislation and so like for example we were in ohio so we went to like ohio's the Ohio State Courthouse and heard from senators and um, things like that. And then there were some like campaign managers who came to speak with us. And then we had to do like a mock 
it was like a conference basically. So, but it was really to empower young women, specifically college students who are interested in politics, to really encourage them to run for office. So that was kind of the. So Anissa and I are supposed to become the president at some point. Well, naturally, you just you're gonna have to figure out who's gonna be the president, who's gonna be the vice president between the two of you. I won't. I won't weigh in. Whatever. (laughs) I don't have an opinion. You guys can figure that out on your own. Uh, Was this event? I mean, I'm curious just in terms of you know, like contextualizing this a little bit, was this event considered uh, as part of a larger context of what we're seeing for women, particularly young women and young women of color entering politics now since 2016, right? There's been a a big rise in new candidates, young candidates, particularly women. And as we're facing an election, you know, now just weeks away, really literally, in which people are talking about a significant shift in representation and a lot of new faces, a lot of them are women. Was that part of the conversation in this conference? Was that pre- was presented in that context? What do you mean? Like, because well, this was 2015. So we oh, had okay. it. Yeah, oh, so I remember 2015. It was a simpler time. <laughs> we had a lot of this different things before. to worry about. Yeah. Uh, the world was destroyed. But um. Yeah, so this was before, but we were being really intensely encouraged to run for office. I don't know, Anissa, please share anything. Yeah, I think but. it was definitely like uh, the first, like the first event of its kind, I will definitely say. And I personally didn't know any previous alumni or people who have done that program, but I can definitely talk about what it meant to me. Um, I think being like a minority within a minority, right? Like being a woman of color and then being Muslim and and I think I, it's safe to say, like, I don't really see a lot of it in the media, if at all, like anywhere in the country, right? It was just very liberating and very empowering to have a program like that really tell me that I can, you know, and that I can't. And so, and one thing that I really liked about the program was it was so diverse. Like we had Nina Turner, an African-American senator from Ohio, from Cleveland, come down and speak. So I think it wasn't just exposing women to the political arena, but I think it was more really letting us know that we can hone in on like all the leadership skills. And um, I really like that. And you saw leaders from not just the political realm, but like you had leaders in the nonprofit sector, um, people in the public sector and the private sector. And so it was all really interconnected. And I think that's what I really love the most about the program. Yeah. And it was definitely like a few of us. I think maybe it was just 15 of us. Literally. But from like all different colleges in Ohio. And I actually met up with one of the young women, Holly Hickman. I don't know if you remember her, but she's now at... Um, uh, New York Law School and she's doing like public she wants to become like a public defender but so it was like a, many young women who really want to see change in the world but it wasn't just limited to you know our point of view of the world which I think we can agree on yeah. there were some people there who had a different idea for yeah. sure and, and, and that was, was yeah not to inter- it was yeah. we had uh, Republicans we had Democrats we had from both sides of the spectrum and my personal favorite was Natalie I don't know if you I don't know if you remember her but she was uh pursuing uh she wants to be a pilot and so just having someone like that there I thought was so like in, so instrumental and I, I it was really inspiring so again just like seeing women from all over from all walks of life there I thought was really important to have uh Anissa I'm, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your organization Horn of Hope um, and, and your role. I don't know if you were the founder, uh, but can you just 
tell us a little bit more about how that organization came about. It, it says uh, you were launched in the spring of 2014. That's you know, that's four years ago. You were still, I guess, like you're saying, high school aged or close to just fresh out of high school. How did you start to form this organization and what was the vision? So uh, that's a really great question. And so the idea for Horn of Hope, I guess, was created in 2014, but we actually didn't become an organization. And what I mean by that is I, I founded, um, I was able to then create a team and with my co-founder within end of 2015. And as of right now, I'm still the co-founder of uh, Horn of Hope. And originally, it was just uh, an individual project that I was doing. And then after, you know, Package Tour heard about it and a number of other organizations, not just in the U.S., but really around the world, heard about what I was doing. A lot of them asked to collaborate. We had a day so, for example, um, in 2015, um, reach out to me and they saw the work that I did with Araha, which is the American Relief Agency for the Horn of Africa. And with them, I believe I raised a little over $30,000 for clean water and um, getting people immediate aid and also like rice and foods of that nature in um, different parts of Somalia and in Somaliland. I just had a lot of nonprofits reach out to us on Facebook and through our website. And people were like, hey, you know, I see you're doing, you know, your fundraising in, within like two, three weeks. What, like, what's the key? What are you doing? And honestly, I think a lot of them realized that I had a skill. Um, in terms of like really crowdfunding, getting a lot of people from my own personal Twitter accounts, um, donating very fast. And the unique thing with me, and I think I am able to do what I'm doing right now so well, is because of the, really where I'm living, Columbus has the second largest Somali American uh, population in the U.S. And I think like in the world, not including Somalia. So I think wow. I had an advantage right there. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of Somalis living here in the state. So you know, and it's a very tight knit community. So it was very easy for me to continuously um, get that money. And I think once you build connections, that helps a lot. But to answer your question, I, as of right now, I've collaborated with over five different organizations. And I've been blessed enough to not just really work in Somalia, but I've been able to visit Ethiopia. And last year, um, in 2015, I was recognized by the Ohio State House And I think that was a really inspirational moment for me because it wasn't just no longer my Somali community recognizing the work that I was doing and the work, to be clear. It really, it isn't just fundraising, but it's really inspiring young women, inspiring other youth to get active because I think the reality is, at least with my country, like there was a civil war that broke out and a lot of new Americans and a lot of the younger Somalis like myself, we can't really understand the struggles people are dealing with back home. But my main mission with Horn of Hope isn't really just fundraising, but it's really inspiring the youth and it's really letting them know like you guys can contribute in so many different ways as well. And so when these organizations kind of saw what I was doing, um, a lot of them reached out to me and asked for partnerships or with a lot of like to collaborate. And so that's really what I've been doing right now. I've really been collaborating with a lot of people. And um, the last collaboration that I had was this past July. Um, from January up until July, I was working with Adeso Africa. And I believe we raised around $70,000 for them. And they're based in D.C. right now. That was really amazing. And they allowed me to go to Kenya with them. And we were working with a lot of pastoralist communities. And that's, you know, it was just really important, again, to not just work with people who were lacking clean water, but with communities who didn't even know how to, where to begin with agriculture. Like, how are we going to, you know, sustain our food? And again, that just took me out of an entire skill set that I was familiar with. And it was like, oh, wow, I'm not just dealing with water anymore, but it's now helping people, you know, sustain their um, lives and to thrive. So really, that's what I've been doing. And then I kind of use my platform to inspire young women and girls. And um, a lot of that, I think, stemmed from a place of I didn't really get that 
And so I think just kind of hearing my success stories and kind of being able to collaborate with a lot of people, I usually get pushed by a lot of young girls who say like, hey, what are you, how are you doing all this? What can I do? And so I kind of took it upon myself. And um, in 2017, I hosted um, an Empowering Young Women and Girls event, which was the first event of this kind here in Columbus, Ohio. And we did it at COSI, which is like the biggest science museum. And I literally had people from like um, some of the largest science industries in D.C. come in. I just brought a lot of incredible young women together to really, I guess, just encourage a lot of these girls to let them know that they are capable of doing so much more. And right now with Horn of Hope being like in school, and this is a question I'm honestly still discovering with myself, but where do I, and I, I know this wasn't the question, but I, I get asked a lot, like, what do you plan on doing in the next few years with Horn of Hope? Because up until now, the past two, three, four years, it's just been me collaborating with all these great organizations. And a part of that was me just recognizing, like, I'm in school. I can't really go to the the money, you know, like, I can't really see them use the money. Like, um, how am I trying to word it? Like, I guess I'm not really there for the field worker. I can't really kind of see what's going on because I'm just one person right now. So what I want to do is when I graduate with my minor, I really want to hire a team and collectively really establish like an actual team team because right now it's just me and my co-founder who's two years younger than me. And so in the next few years, I really want to expand Horn of Hope and I want to hire people who are, you know, um, trained to um, understand like what to do and really go from there. But right now I just read these organizations and really learning because they gain something and I gain knowledge as well. Right. Well, that's great because my next two questions were going to be, what's next for Horn of Hope <laughs> and how do you balance all of this work and like still figure out a way to be a college student? So you managed to answer those two questions. So you're thinking ahead. Yeah. Uh, I am curious. You, you mentioned a lot of work about clean water, water access, water rights, all of that, which I have historically thought of as, you know, that's a global issue. That's an international issue. That's something that we think about for developing countries, uh, but obviously, I'm sure you know uh, where I'm going with this question. There, there, there are a lot of questions about clean water and water access in this country. You know, and of course, uh, the main example is uh, what happened in Flint, Michigan. So uh, have you followed those efforts? Do you see those two mirroring each other? Are you interested in doing domestic work like this? What is, what's your involvement or thoughts on some of those issues uh, domestically? No, I think that's a fantastic question. And I actually use that when I'm hosting these events. I'm here in Columbus or in different states. I let people know like this isn't an issue. Because, you know, I think the thing is, and it really doesn't, it doesn't even just apply to the charity world, but I guess like artists or anyone with a huge platform, I think and when you're making art too, like you really want your audiences to relate to, to it, right? If they can't really really imagine or understand what you're trying to explain to them they won't really have a lot of interest so the way I frame uh, a lot of our campaigns I let people know like this is an issue happening in our own backyard too it isn't just you know for kids in Africa this is happening like you mentioned in Flint Michigan and so um, I try my best to really show people um, what's going on not just in Somalia but here in America as well and so I personally definitely as of right now I have not worked with any local or any American um programs or any American organizations that are dealing with things in Michigan. And to be honest, I think a lot of it is, and I might be, I might be, uh, I don't know if this is correct, but I don't really think there are any organizations right now just dealing with that. You know, you see programs or you'll see individuals uh, trying to tackle the issue. I really think there are a lot of huge organizations right now getting grants to deal with that issue. Um, I think it's a lot of it's just like 
supported by the government or by the state in Michigan. So I definitely would love to spearhead some sort of program to really educate the public about that because it's sad that there's kids literally going to school with like bottled water right now um, to Michigan because they don't have access to clean, safe drinking water. And I think people don't understand. um, It's a really simple problem that we can solve. And I do think it's like a basic, a fundamental human right. So I definitely see myself doing something uh, for that domestic issue in the near future. No, I was just going to say, like, even even in Ohio, like what's happening in Flint, there's so many communities that are experiencing this kind of stuff. But I mean, like, I think, yeah, I think water is such, I mean, (laughs) water is, you know, how we survive. Even in, I know this is like a little bit separate, but I think it kind of ties into it, but it might be a whole other podcast. So bring it, bring it. We go go on tangents all the time. Bring it. This is a new tangent, but I found out about this organization called Just Moms. Did did we talk about this last time? We did. We did. We did. We did. We did. Well, Anissa, this is your first time, but Yiming is like, I remember. Oh, last time on the show, you mean? Yeah, last time on the show, we talked about this. No, this is the first time I've heard of Just Moms. Maybe it was the episode I wasn't here, even though I don't like to acknowledge Uh, that episode. I I don't know. I don't know. know. I think it was like our planning. It was our editorial meeting, I think. Go for it. Just Maybe I had texted Yiming. I don't know. So many possibilities. Um, so it was, it's called Just Moms, and it's basically these moms in St. Louis who are fighting to um, get rid of the nuclear waste plant that is in their community. And basically, they found out it was there because all of a sudden, a lot of their children started getting sick. You know, like all of these things, started, they started getting sick. All of these things started happening um, to really, like, cause this. But I think that for water, it... I mean, one, we need it to survive, but it like we use it in ways that maybe we don't even think about too, like taking a shower or like things like that. Like we don't realize, oh, that's or if I mean literally drinking it. But I that that just reminded me because I think you, the way that you started Hone of Hope and continue it, and also that the fact that you're really looking at it as like a living organism, like it could evolve into something. It can really, you know, kind of morph into whatever whatever is needed for, you know, the effort that you're going to focus on. Um, but it reminded me of like just moms who are like, you know, they just literally it's called just moms because they're just moms who like are, you know, are not about to watch children and people in their communities suffer because of an issue that should be solved by by the people who made the mess in the first place. So I feel like what's happening in Flint and even in many places in Ohio, I'm sure that maybe aren't on the news right now, but you know, like are I'm sure definitely happening. And to add to that, like, and I want to clarify the, the most recent project or campaign that I did with Adeso, um, Africa and DC, that was for, a, they're a women's health organization. And the reason it's connected with Horn of Hope or with the water um, crisis in general is a lot of the women, um, it's affecting maternal health. Like if you don't have access to clean water, how can you expect to help women deliver their babies or, you know what I mean? So water is, it literally connects into everything. And before that campaign with Araha, like even just helping with educating um, students, right? A lot of these girls can't even go to school because they're literally fetching water during the day for so many hours. And so not having access to clean water, it isn't just drinking of it. It really affects their everyday life and it affects so many different issues from just health to education. And, you know, the list literally goes on. And I think um, 
it did start off as just building water walls and then slowly it's evolved to just now I'm looking to collaborate with organizations that are, you know, dealing with a, a variety of different issues because water is at the core of, um, is a main issue. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's just a I, Flint. I don't think of Flint as an isolated incident. I think of Flint as a reminder of how vulnerable all communities are, right? Like we have, there's a, there's a big national conversation about infrastructure, right? Oh, we have crippling infrastructure. We haven't been investing in it. Uh, this is the kind of thing that's a, a bipartisan interest that everyone can agree on infrastructure. Uh, part of that infrastructure, right? Of course, I mean, plumbing, you know, it's, it's something that we overlook, but it's also something that requires maintenance. And Flint is a reminder of, you know, uh, how vulnerable a community can be. Uh, and also a reminder of, you know, how fortunate we are to be in a place that does have infrastructure, failing or not. Um, you know, I, I always think of, I quote Chris Rock a lot on this show just because I think that he has a lot of political insights, but he talks a lot about, um, you know, American privilege and how we forget our level of privilege. And he said, say, yeah, man, he said, it's, there aren't that many places in the world where you could just go to a sink and then turn a faucet and then water comes out, right? Like that's, you know, there are a lot of people in the world who don't have that advantage. And then he said, but we won't even drink it. <laughs> we, we, we still, everybody is going, getting bottled water, you know, uh, and he said, it's only good enough for showering. He said, that's it. He said, this is just our bath water. And then the other stuff, you know, we go to the store to get a bottle of water. Um, so there are a lot of reminders in there about infrastructure and access and uh, a lot of things that we take for granted. But I think Flint is kind of an important reminder uh, for all of those reasons. Um, it's really great to hear you two talk together uh, with with you, Amelia, and you, and just because I'm starting to hear a little bit of like a political platform, you know, like maybe Amelia can do some of the domestic work, you know what I mean? Like talk about what's going on <laughs> at home in the U.S. She could, you know, and then we have our internet, you have your uh, international platform, Anissa, you know, I feel like you guys could really, I, I can hear the rally already. So I, I just want to be able to say that we were here at the beginning <laughs> years and years before, maybe it won't even be that, that long. You know, you started doing this work when you were in high school, so maybe we won't have to wait that long. Uh, it's just good to hear from both of you. And I'm, I'm really glad, Amelia, that you brought uh, Anissa on the show. So uh, I want to thank both of you for being here. Obviously, thanks to you, Amelia, for bringing Anissa to us. Thank thanks you. to you, Anissa, for taking the time to be here today. Um, now that you've been on the show, you're welcome to come on all of our future shows. Uh, you're a member of the Quest on Family now. And we'd love to come to you about other, you know, part of this podcast is an editorial meeting. So a lot of the stuff that comes up, we're, we're encouraging people to write about it. Uh, and if you're interested in doing that, please, please reach out to us. Let us know. Keep us informed about what's going on and what issues are important to um, stay abreast of. Thanks to all of you uh, for being here today, Eming included, uh, as always. Uh, come back anytime, Anissa. Thanks to everybody. And thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, until next time, Quest on it. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.